Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Dr. Ray Garendi. Dr. Ray is a Catholic husband, father of 10 adopted children, a clinical psychologist, an author, professional speaker, an international radio and television host. And his radio show, The Doctor Is In, can be heard on EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and on Sirius XM. And Dr. Ray, thanks for coming on today. Deacon, appreciate it. So you got a, a new book out, Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens. You know, you hear so much, and I even mentioned it in the book, but, you know, you hear it all the time. You know, beware of the teenage years and, you know, mother-in-laws. We hear all these negative talks about people we should be loving that are gifts to us. And uh, it really is more of a, a fallacy and a case-by-case situation, right? You can't paint broad brush to that, can you? Deacon, do you think you would have heard a farmer a hundred years ago in fear of his boy turning 14, that he wasn't going to get any help from him now? Or do you think he would have been ecstatic that that boy was 14 and was much more able to help? He'd have put the work on him at 12 and been thankful that he turned to 14. Exactly. So this whole idea that teenagers are naturally difficult They are naturally surly and moody and difficult and pouty and whatever pejorative you want to throw on them. I don't think it's natural. I think it's cultural. Yeah, there's hormonal changes and the kids are growing up quick. But I think the big thing is there's two factors. One, the culture assaults good parents, essentially says you're out of touch. Your kid needs to think this way. That's the first thing. The second thing is the kids look around them and they see what their peers are allowed to do and they see all the opportunities that they want that mom and dad are not letting them have. And that breeds this kind of resentment or resistance that the experts say is natural. I don't think it's natural at all. I think it's a cultural phenomenon. Cultural, but not only that, I mean, you know, if, if you decide you're not going to, you're, you're going to be their friends until they're 13 and all of a sudden you're going to become their parent, uh, you really haven't done yourself any favors, have you? I tell parents who come into my office with a six-year-old who's driving them nuts, I said, you, you want to deal with this now because when he gets bigger and stronger and older and slicker, you're going to look back on this like it was the good old days. Yeah, a teenager can be very difficult simply because he's older and um, wiser in the ways of challenging his parents. But if you set that boundary and that strong, loving discipline when he's young, you ain't going to deal with half of this when he's 14. Well, and unfortunately, we see way too many parents, they just want to be their friends or, you know, take the path of least resistance. And we were talking about before we came on, right, in this crazy world, whether it's within the church or outside the church, you know, we need to focus on the things we can control. And being good parents and being good siblings and grandparents are things that we can control. And I think this book really helps us to focus on that area of our life instead of worrying about all the things we can't control. Deacon, most of the books out there are written to make parents feel like they're falling short, that they're not doing it psychologically correctly. And therefore, 
they are warned that their children will be sitting on Springer someday talking about them. This book is different in the sense that it puts confidence and authority into a parent's hands. One of the things that parents are really struggling with nowadays, Deke, and I see it all the time, fear. They are afraid. They are afraid to set boundaries for fear their children won't like them. They're afraid to supervise for fear their kids will get resentful. They're afraid of making some kind of psychological mistake that'll reverberate for the next 15 years. They're afraid of being too religious because their kids will puke up religion when they're 21 years old. I, I see it all the time, Deacon. Parents are parenting in fear in the sense that I get parents all the time asking me, well, am I allowed to or do you think I should? And I say, you're the parent. This is your decision. You're the one that sets these boundaries, these rules. I know, but I, you know, I, I really don't want him to resent me. Well, he's going to get upset, but that doesn't mean he resents you. I don't know about you, but I know growing up, I was pretty sure my dad couldn't stand me. And then when I look back, I realized how much he loved me. And he wasn't afraid of uh, threatening and, and fulfilling corporal punishment and making sure I knew right from wrong. And, you know, you look back and you just realize how much they did love you. And if you look back and it was the other way, you'd realize how much they didn't care. I tell parents, especially Catholic parents who are listening to programs like yours. These are people who are now different from the culture at large. What they're trying to do with their children is to teach morals and virtues much higher than the cultural norm. So the kids looking around them, seeing what their peers are allowed to have, allowed to do. They have a smartphone when they're 12. The kids look at all this and say to the parents, how can all those people be wrong and you be right? And the parents have to have enough strength in the context of love to stand strong. Because if not, if not, they will go with the flow of the culture and the culture does not support faith-filled Catholic values. It doesn't. Well, one thing I really did enjoy about the book was just the way it's presented in a, in a question form, and then you kind of go through and, and answer each question. Are these questions that, that you've either received you know, on your radio show, in your practice, maybe even via mail, or are these just kind of a compilation of things you've heard over time? These are questions, Deacon, that I receive over and over and over again. So many parents now struggle with the same things. You know, just two generations ago, my, my parents didn't second-guess themselves all the time. They knew they were mom and dad, and they knew what they wanted to teach. And my dad's dad didn't worry at all about doing something psychologically incorrect. He loved his kid. He knew his values and standards, and he enforced them. And if somebody would have told my grandfather, you know, if you put your standards too high, your kids are going to rebel. My Italian grandfather, who came from Italy, had a sixth grade education, would have looked at him and said, you, you're telling me that if, if, if I have a good standards, that's going to be the very thing that's going to make my kids bad? And he'd look, at, he'd look at you like you're nuts. But I'll tell you, I've heard that from so many experts, I can't count them.
Well, you know, and you talk about in the book, you talk about setting high standards and also being more frugal with material things. Maybe you can talk about why that is so important in, in such a materialistic, you know, really pagan world. It is almost impossible to raise a child who doesn't have high material expectations. Think about it, Deacon. They've never really known temperature fluctuations. They've got air conditioning, car and house. They've got heat. They take warm showers. They have all the clothes they need. They have so much food that they can pick and choose what kind of food they want. And I'm, I'm including me in this too. So it's so, so easy to become, have you ever, have you ever heard of something called hedonic adaptation? That's way above my pay grade. Deacon Ray. You know, and I, you know why I throw that in there, didn't you? Cause I wanted to sound smart. Well, hedonic anything past adapt- two syllables makes you sound smart to me, but go ahead. <laughs> hedonic adaptation means you get used to the good things and they really don't arouse appreciation anymore. They don't arouse gratitude and you expect them. So hedonic adaptation fulfills our lives. It fulfills my life. It fills the kids' lives. As a result, it's very easy to get mad at your parents because you're not getting iPhone 24 when it's been out already for six months. So, so much of that, you're absolutely right. So much of that is the case. And in the book, I talk about, if at all possible, start young, limiting the Toys R Us truck that pours into the house because the kids just come to expect more and more goodies. It, it, and it really creates conflict between parents and kids. Well, and, and, you know, the danger is, and you talk about it in the book, right? Your, your real goal or the parents' real goal should really be, you know, to raise respectful young kids that when you look at them at 22, they're good young people and the, and what you taught has sunk in. And, you know, if we don't, right, we just see adults now who are so malformed that they're off the rails. I submit to you, Deacon, that it takes a lot more intentional parenting now than it did two to three generations ago. Two or three generations ago, much more of the culture fought like good parents. They did. The pop culture was not as decayed as it is now, not as seductive as it is now. Religion is not as demeaned, was not as demeaned as it is now. So for the parent trying to raise great kids, that one in a hundred kid, they got to be a one in a hundred parent now, or they got to surround themselves as best they can with parents who think likewise, because otherwise they're going to feel very isolated, very besieged, very alone. And it's easy to doubt yourself. I've always said this Deacon, I have, I have 10 children and they're all grown now. If my children grow astray, and that can happen. You got that many kids, that can happen. I want it to be because they had to go through me, not because I stepped aside. Well, make them earn it, right? Earn it, right? But, you know, you talk about feeling out of place and out of touch and all these things. That really is kind of the devil's playbook, isn't it? If I can make you as a parent doubt yourself, be scared 
of what's going to happen, then you are not going to parent with the will, the resolve, the strength, the standards that you need to have to teach morals that are very different from what is now ruling our culture. So because of that, the more the devil can get parents to doubt themselves, the less able they are to do the kinds of things they need to do, even though it looks like they're not going with the crowd. You know, the other things, and, and I see it every day, that the, these broken families, these, you know, absent fathers. So to be a parent and try to raise a kid and to be, if you're the mom, try to be a mom and a dad or vice versa so that you can, you know, educate and discipline. It, it Talk about a daunting task, right? And these broken families contribute to the problems that we're having with our teens, don't they? Indirectly. When you have a family who's struggling to, to make it, their kids are likely to have more freedoms and in many respects, even more goodies and perks. It's amazing how families who live below our poverty line still have an awful lot of stuff that the kids want. So as a result, when your kid looks at those freedoms, those perks of other kids, and he doesn't see you giving them, for example, small example, Deacon, let's say you have a 14-year-old who does not yet have a smartphone. Well, you're pretty much in the bottom 2% of parents. But a smartphone with total no protection in the hands of a 14-year-old is like putting a machine gun in the hands of a three-year-old for its potential for devastation. I'm just going to give you a small one. What percentage of 11 to 19-year-old boys, according to a recent survey, have seen homosexuality on their phones or their computer? I don't know. I guess about 80%. Well, you're a little low. 90. 90%. So that kind of odds stacked against you, you would be foolish to give a kid a smartphone. Now, Parents who come into my office having trouble with their teens will discuss what's going on, and then I will ask, does he have a smartphone or does she have a smartphone? Ninety-plus percent of them say yes, but that's not the devastating thing. Then I ask, when did he first get it? Now, typically, I deal with parents who are more faithful, more Catholic. They want to come to a Catholic shrink who respects their worldview. They will say, oh, 11, 12. Now, the average age, Deacon, for a smartphone is 9 to 10 now. It's 9 to 10. Yeah. So they held out to 11 or 12, and they made it look like, wow, we're really going against the flow. But 11 or 12 is craziness, absolute craziness to do this. I cannot tell you how many parents have come to me and said, I so totally regret the day that I gave in and gave them that phone. Now, you know, you, you're familiar with families. What is the number one rationale that parents and teens, because teens know what parents worry about, number one rationale for giving a smartphone? What is it? Oh, so they can get a hold of you in case they need yes. you for high emergency. Absolutely. And I always tell parents, okay, 
if that's your rationale, offer to get them either a flip phone with no internet or a 30 minute a month phone with no internet. If that's the rationale, the kids go crazy. The kids, I'm, I'm not wearing, I'm not going to take one of those things. That's ridiculous. That is so lame in front of my friends. I would never even pull it out. So it shows you that that justification is a weak one. And the kids know that, yes, mom and dad want to be able to get a hold of me. They want to feel safe where I am, what I'm doing. So they're going to give me an iPhone 15 rather than a flip phone because the kids won't accept a flip phone or a burner or a phone that has three numbers on it, mom, dad, the police, and pizza. Yep. You know, you, t- you blow up a lot of myths in this book, you know, one about the, you know, every teen's a bad teen, but you also talk about, you know, parents saying, well, you know, the kid's just acting out because he wants attention. Can you address that? Oh, that is one of the most misleading. Deacon, I've got a new uh, book being released sometime in the next couple of years. Its original title was Advice Worth Ignoring, and it is a lot of the ideas that experts have pushed upon parents that undercut parents. Acting up to get attention is one of the big ones. Most kids don't act up to get attention. Even the little ones don't do that. They act up because they want to do what they want to do because they have desires and impulses. So they, they act up to, to seek what they want. If a parent is told, well, he's just acting up to get attention. What's the implication of that? The implication is you're not giving your kid enough attention. You must be a bad parent. I mean, why is he craving attention like this? Do you not give him enough? The other thing is, if he's acting up indeed, in fact, to get attention, then what you need to do is ignore what he's doing. So he's throwing a major league fit at age five. Okay, he's trying to get attention. Well, don't give it attention. Just ignore it. But you see the problem with that? You're just now allowing a five-year-old to throw a major league fit, and you're not doing anything about it. You're just letting it burn itself out. So... That is one of the most misleading pieces of nonsense that are thrown at parents. Well, you have another one, the, the old middle child syndrome, right? I Just because you weren't in a particular pecking order, you have a right to go <laughs> off the rails. I tell parents, if you're that afraid of middle child syndrome, don't have an odd number of kids. You know, you got an odd number. Have another one. Give one away. Wipe out that middle spot. Well, it's a nice theory, Deacon, but it doesn't hold. The only place birth order really seems to have any kind of effect at all, and it's not even a big one, is the oldest and the only. As a group, a little more independent, a little more achieving. Maybe they develop a shade quicker. That's because it's your first kid. You're a different parent with your first kid than your last one, whom you throw a big dirt ball and say, here, chew on this and wipe your mouth off in the gas can before you come in the house. You know, somebody asked right. my wife when our, when our ninth one, Peter, was uh, two or three months old. My, my wife was asked, is uh, Petey sleeping through the night? And my wife said, well, I don't know if he is. We are. <laughs> you kind of get to that point, you know. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. And, it, 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 you know, it, it is so important to, rem- that, to really have a good perspective on things, right? And, and you do have to laugh sometimes, right? If we take everything so seriously that everything's going to be 
you know, catastrophic if we do it wrong, right? We, going back to your original thought, we are going to be scared if we think of ourselves as so self-important that every move we make has an impact on the world for all eternity. That's well put, Deacon. That is so well put. So many parents are parenting under this cloud. Don't mess it up. Don't say it the wrong way. Don't give freedom too late. Don't uh, do the right uh, win-win scenario. Whatever it is, don't do it because you're going to mess your kid up. And I always tell parents, you're going to make thousands of mistakes per kid. What what balances it out is all the love, all the warmth, all the good times, all the all the positives of your parenthood. But I'll tell you what, when you're afraid of mistakes, you you can't parent. It's not possible. Nope, you can't do anything out of fear other than other than hide and, and become an ostrich, and that never works. Um, how important is it for families to continue to do things together? Like when kids become teens, they become a little more independent, but how important it is for families to make, and parents to make sure that they're eating meals together. They're going mass together. They're praying together because it's easy to say, well, they're just so busy. We just don't have time. When I was 14 years old, my mother would take me to visit a Nana. Nana was 92 years old. She was an Italian lady. Now, if my mom would have left it up to me, there is no way I would have gone to visit Nana. But I went. And I listened to Nana, and she told fascinating stories. And she gave me a respect for older people. Had I not been taken along, I wouldn't have gone. If she left it up to me, Ray, do you want to go? No, no. I've got 27 other things higher on my priority list. I tell parents, do not allow children to set the terms of whether they're going to be with you or not. Don't let that happen. Sure, you don't have to drag them everywhere you go, but there's a lot of places that are good for them to go, to visit the elderly or to go say hi to Aunt Jenny or whatever it is that they wouldn't naturally do on their own. And if they don't have a smartphone in their hand, then they're forced to socialize. And all kinds of good things can happen when you put kids in a position for them to happen. If we allow kids to simply say, no, I don't want to. No, nah, now nah, you go, mom. I'm not gone. Well, we're going out to eat for breakfast, honey. You want to go? No, I don't want to go. And part of the reason for that deacon is they have too many other options. When I got a smartphone in my hand, I can, I can channel the universe. Why would I want to go to breakfast? Mom and dad. Oh, how lame. But you see, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the kid would have jumped at the chance to go have breakfast somewhere. But now, too many other goodies are beckoning to him. So I tell parents, here's another thing I say, Deacon. I, I may have mentioned this in the book. <clears throat> if you have high standards as a parent, especially a dad, then you better be one affectionate parent. You don't allow your children to tell you how much affection you're allowed to have. When my son Peter was 17, he was playing basketball at a local high school. Before the games, I would sit in the bleachers about four bleachers back. I'd head down onto the floor right before the game at an appropriate time. I'd hug him. I'd give him a big kiss on the cheek. And I'd say, Petey, try not to, to join out. And he would laugh and I would laugh. 
right in front of everybody. Now, you've got to know, Deacon, those other people were gasping. Look what he's doing. Oh, oh my gosh. He's he's touching his kid in public. Oh, no, he's going to, oh, he's going to hug him. Oh, my gosh, how could he do this? And I said to Petey, Petey, does that embarrass you, son? And he said, would it make any difference, Dad? And I said, no, (laughs) I'm your dad. I'm going to love you and kiss you whatever I can. He told me later, Deacon, that he had some of his buddies on the team come up to him later and say, I wish my dad would do that. Kind of reminds you of the, you know, the the old Cats in the Cradle song, right, by Harry Chapin, right? It's the, you know, it's easy just to get caught up in your own world. But if you don't make kids a priority and remember, right, these kids are a gift. They don't cease being a gift when they turn 13, right? And then become a gift again at 20, right? Deacon, I don't want to scare you. But when you remember the Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin, you're showing your age, man. You know? Well, that's why we do audio and not uh, video, because they don't see my age. <laughs> that song was in the early 90s, right? That's probably 30 years ago. Maybe more. 35? That's 70s, buddy. <laughs> oh, even I'm starting to show my age now. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. I think too often... The parents allow the kids to set the conditions and the terms. Now, don't mishear me, people listening. I'm not saying you got to be a jackbooted thug, my way or the highway punk. Nothing like that. Study just came out. Fascinating study, Deacon. It said that kids who are raised in homes with traditional morals and values grow up to be better human beings, as opposed to kind of a liberal, hands-off, permissive approach, the enlightened psychological approach to child rearing. I know this time always goes so fast. How can people get the book, Dr. Ray? Easiest way to get a signed copy is to go to drray.com, D-R-R-A-Y.com. The other 17 books are there. Um, So I'd welcome them to, to head there. Uh, and Deacon, I, I always appreciate you uh, letting me come back. If you like the content of these shows that we produce on a weekly basis, please prayerfully consider supporting us. Go to ccdenver.org, click on the donate button, and then click on Respect Life Denver to support this programming. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.